Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Kia ora and welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod as Super Rugby heats up. Two rounds to go until the playoffs. The Chiefs are looking strong at the top and the Brumbies look like they've thrown away their chance of coming top and maybe even a top four chance. Maybe they won't get a home playoff. So we'll look into all of that. Of course, in Europe, we found a champion. Lara Shell beat Leinster. So plenty to get in there. And of course, that's all in the context of France and, and Ireland, of course, being the ones to beat at the Rugby World Cup. So plenty to chat about. First of all, James Parsons in with me here today once again. Good to be Welcome, back. Welcome, Jip. Yeah. Uh, it was a pleasure. Code. How good. <laughs> very, very good. And very good. Speaking of very good, joining us now, oh. very good was Ethan Athiwa. Leinster, of course, a long time there. Yeah, it's good to have you. Blues, Auckland, won a few European Cups in your time there. So it would have been a bit interesting to see Leinster on the weekend for you. Tough old one, which I'm sure we'll delve into. I, I, I needed a nice walk along Oruwa Beach, just to woosah and calm down after that one. Um, and yeah, that's that's tough old heartbreak, two years in a row to the same team. Um, but La Rochelle, uh, great coach, and Rog, uh, Ron Nogara, great team and, and a desperate team. And you know, once you, once you get the taste of winning, you just want more. Two in a row, which is not something that happens very often. You got four in your time, so you really know how tough it is to get that many. I did get a double in uh, 211 and 212, um, and you're just the number one target on everyone's head. Um, and But that's a desperate team, and they got through the competition, La Rochelle got through the competition pretty unscathed, really, bar a little hiccup in Gloucester that they still took the winnings on. But um, you you see how much it meant to them and how much it meant to Rog and his coaching team. Um, and and there's, there's just some phenomenal brains trust behind them and a lot of work that they, they put into that. So, you know, I take my hat off to them, but a tough day for Leinster. That was their third final in a row, wasn't it? Because they lost to Toulouse. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. prior to winning last year. So that's some yep. serious consistency. And for those that don't know, Rogers, Ronan O'Gara, the coach of La Rochelle. Um, but he's, he's really paving away for himself. You know, obviously what he did over here with the Crusaders and now what he's doing there, um, you know, I suppose Irish rugby's in good stead if he gets that chance at international level. 
Yeah, he was um he was always gonna be a coach. He's one of those great minds as a player, records galore, one of those tens that really understands the game. Um and and what I like about Rog, I have a massive respect for him, but but he hasn't been in a massive rush to be the head coach. Um he's taken his time and he's he's worked on his craft and surrounded himself with good people. And then, you know, when he teed up with Razor down here, you know, the brains of Razor looking abroad to get some fresh thinking in, but equally so him taking the opportunity to come down here and then go back up to France, you know, you know, whether whether or not RFU would have offered him the head coach role or a role at in Irish rugby. Um, he hasn't been quick to jump at that, which I like and almost respect. These guys like Paul O'Connell and and Ronan O'Gara and um, you know, he's done his time, but then he he's built that team, um, you know, with the likes of John O'Gibbs, but he's he's taken over, continue to build and then continue to sort of build the game around its strengths and he's smart about it and he is literally deconstructed the opposition at times um and done it in a in a fashion that the clubs just fully got behind them um so yeah i got a massive massive respect for roger I hated him as a player um it's a prick to play against but i but i enjoyed that and and i think that's where that competitiveness in him um but also his emotional iq to get on the par with the players is, is pretty unique so he's gonna be uh he's a new breath of coaches uh coming out of um sort of the last decade in ireland that are doing really really well on the world stage leo cullen obviously is someone you played under a little bit he's done an equally good job really with leinster hasn't he maybe not equally good if he hasn't won the last two but he's done a pretty damn good yep. job there are a lot of great rugby minds in ireland you think of johnny sexton on the field as well what is it about the way that the irish game is developing that there are these these brains there that are changing the game well, look, I think if you ask all those guys, I think they um, are very astute, smart rugby minds, um, but equally so, they've all seen different environments and they will have seen different leaders and different influence. Um, you know, the name, the likes of Michael Checker, Joe Schmidt, Stuart Lancaster. Um, they've, you know, even, you know, Graham Henry, Ted's been up, up at Leinster, um, that Leo's... Leo Cullen has um, brought up there to get that type of expertise. And then obviously Rog coming down under um, and seeing a New Zealand set up, um, even the likes of Rob Baxter over at Exeter. You know, these are guys that are consistently performing on the world stage in clubs and club sides um, and will only go on to higher honours. But I think they're all very smart to surround themselves with new ideas and fresh ideas um, and that's that's part of the whole growth mindset around what you know a modern day coach needs to do. But these guys are, you know, definitely leading the way. That's for sure. Have you seen that since your time in Ireland? Was that a progression that you saw the raising in the intellect, the raising in the rugby IQ, the the change of direction? Kenny up at up at Munster and and Joe Schmidt and Michael Checker and a, and a lot of influence. Um, Pat Lamb and his time at Connacht. Um, there's a lot of intellect has moved north, and it's not something new that's been happening for sort of 10 to 20 years there's a lot of intellect has gone up and not often has it sort of come back down um you know even jason holland in this time um has experienced something another another culture and i think that does wonders as a coach because you see different models and different styles um but you know there's there's success at the end of the day and some great coaches out there that um are doing really really well on the well on the sort of club stage and on the world stage 
you have to say, if you look at all the names that have just been rattled off, and particularly to, I suppose, Irish, um, I suppose, resident coaches, so to speak, um, there's, a, there's a sort of, if you look at them, they sort of suspend their ego a little bit. Like, they're not coaches that ever grab the limelight. They just do the work behind the scenes and then let, I suppose, the actions of the team, um, you know, sort of talk for them. Um, is, is that yep. sort of the way they sort of come through as players as well when you when you're over there is that real humble approach yeah there's a there's a there's a huge humbleness to these guys you know leo cullen is he was a phenomenal one of the most successful captains and he's gone on to already be a successful coach one of the few and now with rog um players to have won the heineken cup and gone on to coach a heineken cup at a young age in a coaching career so so these guys are very down-to-earth people at the end of the day, um, but very diligent and very hardworking. You know, it's a it's a solid 11-month season. If you're going from start to finish, um, it takes its toll on on them as as people. But you know, they they have a bigger lens on things rather, and and I guess there are clubs that have the commitment and the backing to to not have space short-sighted into you know a few bad results and then you're flicked like you see a lot out there. These are clubs that sort of understand the long view on things, understand performance over a long period of time. And Leo Cullen's the perfect example of that. Had his time at Leicester, um, you know, very successful as a player at Leicester, then jumped back over and very successful back in Leinster, um, and then straight into a coaching. Uh, limelight where he went from playing into forwards coach into winning competitions um, and it's a bit like John O'Gibbs you know post his Chiefs career going to Ireland has had a very very successful sort of five to eight year tenure as a coach um, winning trophies along the way so you know they're they're part of special environments but they've they've added their own flavor to things and, and you've seen what Ron Agar has done at La Rochelle over the last three seasons now. I feel like when you see the players, maybe you're a case in point, you know, you arrived there 2008. By 2011, you know, you were winning awards for Player of the Year. You look at Jameson Gibson Park, he arrives there. You know, in the most part, Kiwis would have seen him as a bit of a journeyman. Now he's one of the best halfbacks in the world. Uh, how are the players nurtured differently up there to the way maybe they're nurtured down south? Oh, there's, there's, you know, Jamo's, Jamo's the epitome of someone that um, had... You know, time at the Blues, time at the Hurricanes. I think his last game at the Hurricanes was sitting on the bench for a final that he won um, and then didn't get much game time. But I think they're very wary about, you know, the length of a rugby player's career or the impact they can have. So they weren't expecting Jamo to light the, you know, club scene on fire the minute he got up there. It was a long-term project and they do really invest in that. Um, and from his first year there, had success, um, saw it from a distance, and then the way they've sort of put shape and structure around them to get even better. You know, he's up there with Antoine Dupont as the two best halfbacks up north, that's for sure. Um, and his games just got better and better as he's um, played more games. But, you know, they it was a long way from one game to 50 games to where he's at now, um, but they can sort of invest in the length of that, of a, of a rugby player. And, um, you know, there's, there's huge, huge structures and processes put in place around player development and coach development from the likes of David Nusifori. You know, that didn't change overnight. That started, you know, way back in sort of 2016 and where they are where they are now just because of all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. You utilised, I suppose, the mental side of the game really well as a player also touching it afterwards if you look at a guy like Jamo, is the growth 
off the field to get where his game is at now? Like, because it's almost like the game slows down for him. You know, you always say about these best players, they have time. Like, Jamo just looks like he has time, not only on his pass, but even the, his ability to do those tops kicks when he sees that space in the backfield. A lot of that, I suppose, is experiencing it and getting the opportunity, but must be a lot of that mental prep as well for the pressure that, you know, they'd be up under up there. It's all all encompassing. Um, you know, I the environment that you're in is pretty. Um, the environment that you're in is pretty uh, defining on how you how you grow. Um, and I think, uh, you know, yeah, whether whether he had the environment down here or whether he just got uh, better and better and had the support put around him, but you know, he was immense in his preparation on and off the field. Um, uh, you know, and I, I saw a different side of Jamo um, in a short time at the Blues versus what he came up to Ireland, and then who he was surrounded by, um, and and who egged him on, and the competition and the continuity from the staff. But he was he was as diligent as anyone in his preparation off the field, um, and his mental game, and and all the well-being and support structures. You know, it, it just worked, and the timing was great for Jamo. And you know, he went from one of their last second to last maybe project player to, to one of the best nines in the world and they invested in that over a period of time so you know he's he deserves all the accolades and credit he gets because he's worked on his craft I think is the most important thing. Some of those things you've learned up there have you applied them to your new role you work for High Performance Sport New Zealand as the performance team leader. High Performance Sport is obviously a government agency as part of Sport NZ um, you know a very robust support network around a lot of the team sports, but high performance sport um, in the grand scheme of things, invest in um, all these sports and the NSOs or the national sporting organizations across New Zealand. A lot of the times it was targeted towards Olympic cycles and Paris, which is coming up um, and putting support around to get uh, podium finishes really. But um, the team sports portfolio that I look after is a little bit unique in that there's the Netball World Cup this year. There's the FIFA Women's World Cup here in New Zealand. You're not on an Olympic cycle, so it's a little bit different in team sports, um, but they still invest in them and still uh, really want something back from the sports and in the performance arena. Um, but, you know, what, what do I do? I sort of manage the relationship between HPSNZ and, and the high-performance directors or the CEOs of that sport. Um, but... You know, there's there's huge differences. Um, I was part of rugby, which is a commercially viable beast that that can run to its own accord, uh, similar to similar to cricket as well. But you know, not every sport in New Zealand has that luxury um, and need a lot more sort of uh, funding investment and then almost human investment too. So, my biggest learnings: look, I had. You know, Sir Graham Henry, Michael Checker, Pat Lamb, Stuart Lancaster, Joe Schmidt. I had some pretty phenomenal leaders um, that sort of shaped my beliefs around high performance and what it is. Um, you know, I had some great sort of medical staff along the way that taught me a lot, all the way from New Zealand um, with Doc Carter and Mark Plummer, these guys that have been in and around the game for a long time. Um, they shaped my ideas of what, uh, you know, on the field, off the, off the field performances, um, some great sort of mental skills coaches and mentors along the way as well. I think they gave me a good outlook on what high performance is. And I think my biggest learning is there's more ways to skin a cat. Mm -hmm. I think when you are successful under one sort of head coach and one sort of uh, coaching staff, you think that's the only way to win. But I think one big thing Stuart Lancaster taught me is there's 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 abundant knowledge out there and there's many different ways to win and not just within rugby. 
um, high performance. You know, there's great uh, examples out of the States. There's great examples within New Zealand with Dame Nolene and the netball, um, netball silver ferns and the like. There's so many different ways to win. And I think that's what I learned at the back end of my career, um, which has done me well in life outside of uh, rugby is there's so many different ways to win and there's you've got to have a sort of open book to understand what performance really is and what it looks like. How did you end up there? Um, man, after rugby, I was done. I, I uh, The life of a sports person or professional athlete, like it's it's relentless. It's 364 days a year, maybe, maybe more. You don't really switch off in reality of if you want to be, you know, if you want to be a hundred hundred cap player like Jipper at the Blues, or what it what it actually looks like um, to get to the top, it's it's relentless. Um, there's no hiding away from that either. But you've got to sort of, you know, learn what put things into perspective at the end of the day. Um, and for me, my girls had followed me around the world, um, and I didn't have weekends off for a very long time. And me putting things in perspective, I wanted my weekends back. And I think only uh, sports players and coaches and athletes understand and laugh at that, but it's endless. I had a public holiday. Like, that is phenomenal. <laughs> um, I actually have weekends off and, and can park things. So I needed to get right out of out of rugby and right out of sport. Really, I jumped into finance of all things, um, massive learnings when you have to go and work in the real world and, and understand that. Everyone has varying degrees of what performances. Um, some people are happy to get by on fifty percent, and that's fine and fine as well. You know, um, I was just so in tune with everyone giving a hundred and ten percent every day of the year, and if it wasn't, then you'd get called out for that. You can't really do that in everyday life. But I took a lot of learnings from that. Needed my time away from sport to actually find the love of it again. Um, and I think, you know, the Irish coming down to play the All Blacks um, in and around that time, just starting to watch sport again, um, just sort of gave me the love of it again. And there's so many positives to sport, like getting to work in sport is a blessing in itself. It's so positive whether you're sitting on a nice edge of high performance every day of the year or not. It's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. So after a few years away, um, sort of teed up with uh, teed up a few combos in, in the sport world again and um, there's a lot of familiar faces um, people I haven't seen for 20 years or 10 years um, you know New Zealand's a pretty small space and I just found myself um, working towards getting back into high performance sport which is which is an exciting thing in itself I'm imagining the pre-game team talk at a finance place thing <laughs> Oh well, Matt. I, I had to, I, I gave Ted a call, and Ted being Ted, I said I rang him. I hadn't talked to him for a while, and he's sitting fishing in Waiheke. And I said, Ted, I need you come and talk to my team. Um, he goes, Cool. Tell me when. And that's Ted being Ted. You know, all it was was one phone call, and he was, he showed up two weeks later, and my whole team were just just buzzing with the way Sir Ted did things and how he talked and what he got. And it was there were so many learnings in that sort of hour and a half um that they had with them. They were they were just blown away. And I think, you know, they're they're some of the biggest learnings that I take is we took that for granted, um, being in a high performance environment. Um other people just are never exposed to that and don't even think along those lines. And I was just chucking in little sort of nuggets um, that I learned along the way and being vulnerable and saying that, hey, you know, for 15 years, you're, you're learning your craft. You you walk away at the end of that in a pretty good spot and understanding it where I walked into finance, whereas you're bottom of the food chain. I'm sitting next to people that are younger than me that have 15 years experience in the finance world. Um, but the minute I sort of shared that and was a little bit vulnerable, they actually were like, oh, you're not just some 
rugby player. You actually sort of, you know, you have bought traits. So I just bought little bits of gold that um, I had learned along the way and just dropped them in when needed, but they were blown away when Ted came to talk. They, you know, were pretty speechless in honesty. Bang on, like, it's not an easy time transitioning, but two of the, I suppose, the things that you do get out of being in a professional sport environment, well, rugby environment, is that vulnerability because you have to learn, and if you don't learn, if you're not prepared to get better every week, you won't be picked. You know, there is that sort of ruthless nature, so you have to be vulnerable to, to understand where your weaknesses are to get better. But then there's also that, that um, I suppose, drive for accountability, like every minute of the day counts, and if you're not doing it, yep. someone else's. And taking that into life, I suppose, after sport can be a real, I, I think, two very powerful assets that you can have and, I suppose, show the people that can show you stuff as well, you know? I was pretty taken aback when, you know, you go through, um, you know, professional development, you, you learn, um, you know, but how much of it do you really do? I like the whole thing around go out in there and network with your yeah, you know, you'll be go go networking events like yeah. I was I was worried about winning in the weekend. <laughs> I was worried about winning at the end of the year, and I think you've got to really think about that for a moment because you know to give it your all to win the absolute best of the best, you know you've got to give so much. Um, but if you don't have that balance, um, I probably should have networked a little bit more. Um, but there's so many awesome traits like the teamwork side of things and your relentlessness. Um. Whether you are lacking in 15 years of finance industry knowledge, you have to learn that. But I think it's that willingness to learn and that those are the skills that really trans transition through into life after rugby because, you know, it's learning is such an important skill. Um, as a professional sportsman, you're forced to do it um, where other people just don't. So I think those are those type of skills that really um, cross over into the real world. I'm interested in what your thoughts are then related to that and what the Brumbies did on the weekend. You know, they rested eight Wallabies. They basically threw away their chance of topping the table, um, all but threw away their top chance. When you have that relentless mindset and all you're about is winning every week, is that something that you would have been able to cope with knowing that basically there's this rule out there that's going to stop you from doing that? Oh, man, that's complex. <laughs> I'd like to say it's black and white and bloody hell, like back in the old days, maybe you would have just, just rolled on out and trucked on through. But, oh, man, there's there's so many complexities in it. Um, you know, best thing about sport is you always look back in hindsight and would have done things differently. Um, you know, even the Hurricanes to a point in the weekend, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's... I did scratch my head around that. It's it's a different season, you know. I got used to eleven months of the year, and you really you you can't not but plan, um, and you can't not but manage players. Uh, but Super Rugby is so tight, and then a really tight schedule. I don't know. I would have um, maybe rolled the dice on that one, but there's too many complexities without knowing why the decisions were made to sort of make that real judgment. I think on hindsight, they'll definitely be regretting it, but. If you look at it from their point of view, they probably back that squad to go and get a job done. Mm. Um, and and yeah. we do sometimes look at these top teams when they lose, and you're like, oh, you know, they shouldn't have done that. But the force showed up. Yeah, you know, they they fronted up, and there's there's a bit of steel about them. They're fighting. Um, I suppose they're probably still hurting from last year, just missing out. So um, yeah, they've got a big couple of weeks as well. I, I suppose this weekend against the Rebels will define uh, where they sit because I don't think they'll. Um, well, they may they may get a, 
I suppose, a lighter opposition against the Chiefs of the Chiefs with the Brumbies, but they're, they're taking control of it themselves, which you've got to credit. You're really tossing up, you know, are we chasing a home quarter? And then you're, you're talking about the road in. Um, I think you can only make those decisions when you know that you're in. Um, it's just which way about it you go. Um, because up, up north, one of the biggest drivers in sort of really chasing hard in the URC or the Pro 12, Pro 14 when I was there is because you got a week off if you topped the table. So that made the competition so worthwhile because the week off was always before um, the Heineken Cup final. So if you're looking at an 11-month season, you're going, we've got to go here regardless. Um, and if you top it, whereas, you know, sometimes if the road's in and you're going to dabble around third to fifth it's just about going which way are we going to get there home semi-final quarter-final or are we just happy to be there I don't know they're those questions you sort of look back in hindsight and ask even though we've been doing this rest and rotation thing for a long long time people just can't get their heads around it dare I say I don't think the fans really like it too much and it might actually dilute the game over the grand scheme of things but um you know the Ireland, for instance, is centrally contracted, so it has to be managed and, and it's run over a long season for the benefit of the player at the same time. Um, the it's This can dilute any tournament in reality, um, but I don't think the teams involved complain much when they're the ones winning a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a matter of how you actually go about getting there, you know? Steve Larkham said that he made the decision in November. That surprised me. Yeah. Well, it surprises you, but I think a lot of the teams do a lot of that planning and they know they've got to rest certain players that will have a World Cup. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard because that side was still a pretty good Brumby side. Like, it's, um, and, and guys have got to get opportunity. Like, sort of talk about Jamison Gibson Park before. You know, he probably just wasn't getting minutes on the grass back here and then he went up there and he actually got time and belief and confidence in himself and I mean it's also succession planning like these players aren't going to hang around forever at the Brumbies they've got to be able to be ready to go when their opportunity presents itself and who's to say that there's not two or three injuries and they've got a front and that performance and that that knot in their gut about not fronting against the force may be the difference between them beating the Crusaders in Christchurch in a semi, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are elements yeah. of positives come out of it. Well, the only way you play 50 games is by playing 50 games. The only way you get that experience is by being out there doing it. You played 185 games for Leinster, uh, Leinster over 10-ish seasons. Oh, that's kind of 18 a season. Let's take some time out of that for injuries, I'm sure. How often did you think that you were going to have a rest, like, per month? I, I think uh, it spans my career from, um, you know, I think 2010-11, I think I played 31 of 32 games and I think I played 80 minutes of 30 of them. Um, I missed a trip. Uh, the last round robin game was a away game to Treviso. Of all the games I didn't want to miss, they have the best after-match food. Um, it's like a five-star it's like a five-star banquet Michelin restaurant dinner. Um, so I was annoyed that I missed that one, but that was the norm. But as, you know, games just got harder and harder and seasons got harder and harder and those top-end players, you know, you just have to be managed. Um, that's the reality of it. You can't go back to back to back to back. We both want to know about these banquets, don't we? Oh, mate, it would be a hell of a feast. <laughs> Oh, I swear, cast away, whenever you got to pay cast away in the middle of winter, it was about minus 10 degrees, but they were phenomenal. Um, but then, you know, 
Treviso banquets, just the, the food is, is off the chart. They're always the good ones to go away to. <laughs> you no banquets here? Yeah. Oh, no, not really. Normally it's just get on the bus and your, your food's there and it's weighed out and yeah. calories are perfect for where you <laughs> are. East Coast, and... that's East Coast. You've got to get to the aftermatch, um, aftermatch functions in the East Coast. That's where the crayfish is at. That's where the real seafood's at. <laughs> haven't done one, but I've heard all the heard all the rumours of how good it is. Is that a European thing or is that just an Italian thing where they'd have a banquet for you? Oh, you know, budgets have been tight. and got tighter <laughs> as years gone on and, and a few, few clubs getting in, in drama. But, oh man, that's what I loved about the uniqueness of European rugby. You know, sometimes the aftermatch functions were not worth writing home about. Um, but the wreck where you played Bath, it's this tiny room that's only about four metres by five metres and it's almost upstairs in the back of the catering area. But they have the best Cornus pasties on the planet. <laughs> and there's all this food in this tight little space and you get used to those things. So, Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. They've kept a lot of those traditions going. Um, but yeah, the aftermatch functions in France are pretty phenomenal. Um, those away games in France are, are next level. Excellent. You were getting six pieces of sushi on the bus. <laughs> I don't even know if I was, I don't know if the protein to rice ratio is right in sushi. <laughs> I, think, I think it was it was it was your meat portion with your carb portion and veggie portion. <laughs> we spent a lot of time, Issa, talking about Johnny Sexton because both Jip and Bryn have got a man crush on him beyond belief and the way that he runs a footy game. You spent a lot of time with him. He obviously wasn't in the final um, because of his injury. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like preparing for a game with Johnny Sexton? What is next level about this guy and the way he runs the cutter? Oh, he's um, he's a coach on the field and he's he's smarter than the majority of coaches out there. So, um, you know, he he he's in that upper echelon of people that are so obsessed by the sport um, and just work on it relentlessly. Um, but, you know, even for himself, I think, I think he's learned a lot around, um, you know, when he stepped away to Russing Metro in the two years and, and looking at, you know, life as a player from a different lens. Um, but, you know, his day off is he's still up um, massage physio probably three and a half hours of kicking video analysis and home by two o'clock that's that's sort of a day off um, and he is just relentless around his preparation to 
you know, his analysis of teams seeking out opportunities, bringing other players up to speed, um, you know, and he's he's changed as a leader massively in the last sort of, you know, five to eight years even. But yeah, he's very, very smart. One of the smartest rugby players, if not the smartest rugby player I ever played with. So often in teams, you get to half time or you get to full time, you get to the review and, and coaches get frustrated. Like, why do we have to wait to now to talk about this? Why couldn't we do it at the time? You can see him making adjustments throughout the game. And, and I think it is fair enough to say he is so critical to Ireland at the World Cup in terms of them having the ability to get over the quarterfinal, let alone win it. Where do they go to? And is there still enough there without him on the field? Because if you look at the New Zealand series, he went off in Auckland and the All Blacks got that momentum. Every time he was there, the next two, he was the difference. Yeah, he, he is massively critical um, to the to the whole cause. But I think uh, one thing that people might not see is how much the people around him has stepped up as leaders. You know, and, and fast forward four years from the, you know, three and a half years from the last World Cup and all the learnings the guys like Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose in particular, now often a club captain at Leinster. Um, and whenever he's taken the field, you know, these guys, they're not, young 23-year-olds anymore. They're closer to 30 and have, have, have experienced all that success and heartache along the way. So there's a lot of key guys around Johnny that um, have stepped up and are taking more responsibilities. And I think that's when they really click is when Johnny's sort of orchestrating everything. Everyone else is doing their own role and some and adding in and around them because I think, you know, when when they haven't won, and you know, very rarely do they lose when he's on the field. Um, but he's a lot of the responsibility is taken off his shoulder, so he can go and do what he does best. And I think that's when you know things really click for Ireland. And I think Andy Farrell's created the um, the perfect environment for people to contribute um, and feel like they need to contribute, which is which is one of his skills in itself. They got really smart analysts and coaches that see opportunities and, you know, and they encourage players to make those decisions on the spot, which is a pretty cool environment to be a part of. There's obviously an Irish theme here, but <laughs> Joe Smith, you know him really well. Um, we've obviously got a big audience here in New Zealand. What impact, you know, like he was there last year, but, you know, he's ha he's got his feet under the desk now. What impact can he play in, in making this All Black side probably take the trajectory and make that run towards that World Cup this year? Yeah, he's still he's he's still the brains, um, you know, one of the great minds in, in world rugby, really. Um, and you know, one thing I know for sure with Joe is uh, he he'll work harder than anyone, <laughs> a lot harder than anyone, um, and he. He will have done a lot of sort of review, post-review and tactics um, post-South Africa, really, um, for the ABs. And, you know, I caught up with him recently, didn't didn't share too much, but he's, you know, he knows what's in front of him. Um, and he's been a instrumental mind in rugby. Um, and I think they're going to make the most of that in the lead-up between now and, and World Cup. Um, he'll, he'll have plans. He always does. Um, I think he was always renowned from an Irish perspective around having that ingenuity around trying things. Um, he'll be crafting things in behind. Um, and he won't mind, you know, 
sitting where they're sitting. Um, if, can't say coming under the radar, but he'll he'll be planning away um, with the likes of Fozzie and the rest. So it'll be interesting to see um, how and who shows up. We saw with Wayne Smith as an assistant coach at the All Blacks that it allowed him to innovate and do the things that he did and use his full rugby brain without necessarily dealing with the politics and all the other things around the place. Do you feel like that's a thing that also works for Joe Schmidt? Oh, absolutely. You know, when he's he can he can handle it all, um, sort of that head coach role, uh, contracting, all of that sort of things. But the fact that someone else has taken that off his plate and he gets to be creative and be on the field and making a difference. Um, you know, I know which one I'd prefer. Um, having been coached by him, he is five steps ahead of you, even when you think you're you're five steps ahead. Um, and he will have reviewed a game in his head before the Monday session. Um, and it's usually before you've even taken your boots out of your bag and washed them at the end of the night. So he just looks at things from a from a very unique angle. Um, and then he just has to manage how to convey that to the players in the, in the lead-up between now and World Cup, really, and what to focus on. Is he full of surprises? You know, do you constantly find yourself going, well, hey, I didn't see that coming? Oh, you know, I, you always think you you know something. <laughs> and the uh, reality is he's already thought about it from about five different angles. Um, uh, and and that's, you know, he's, he's, he's a master of planner as well, you know, so... He'll, he'll have tricks up his sleeve that I have no doubt for, um, you know, and he's just got to, you know, find what works for himself, Aussie and the team um, and get that starting lineup and understand what it all looks like. He'll be planning. Now, Issa, we often get questions come in from our viewers, both on YouTube and via email, um, Aotearoa Rugby Pod at sky.co.nz. We've got one through from K-Core on YouTube. I'm keen to hear what both of you think about this. What do you guys think about having rugby only having 20 kicks per game? I'm presuming per team. Do you think this could make teams think more about the priority of kicking and potentially increase the ball in play? What do you think, Chip? Now, like, see, this is where the really good sides use their kicking game to their advan attacking advantage. And it can be attacking kicks. You know, like they're not always just territory-based kicks and they're making decisions based on information fed out from the wingers on what to do. If there is space, most teams will go through the hands and get a bend on that edge and then potentially kick once they've brought the backfield up. But if you don't manipulate the backfield or give them a reason to come up and defend, then, you know, it's too... They'll be like, oh, they're on 18 kicks, they're not going to kick now, so we can rush D. And I think it would make it worse, in my opinion. And I, I like... The teams that have the best kick strategy and execute it really well, that's a secret weapon. It's not easy to do. Um, and you know, I sort of dove into some stats around you know, what differentiates those top sides, and we can go into that later, but so much of it is based around your kick accuracy and, and the strategy you, you implement. Mm, we saw that from the Chiefs on the weekend, Issa. Yeah, you know, I, I'm more a fan of the 50-20 you know, or the 60-40 you know, uh, type of kick that you know, is gives you the upper hand. But hell, I think that changes the whole dynamics of rugby if you're limited to 20 kicks. Imagine what the opposition would do. You'd be counting down the kicks. Um, you'd figure out, you'd change a game plan to force someone to kick just so they use 20 kicks and then you could change your defensive pattern. That's pretty drastic. Um, and I don't even know that would be rugby anymore, but it would be pretty interesting to see something like that trial. Not in the top game, but... Um, 
you know, there's there's tournaments all, all over the world or first 15 that could actually force out. I have no idea what the game would actually look like. Um, but it'd be very, very interesting from a statistician point of view. He's thinking of the um, the 50-22. What I've really liked about the 50-22 is the random people who kick them. You know, it doesn't, cause yeah. you would think that it's the 10s or the 15s, but it's not. Well, it's normally hookers off the back yeah. of the line out. They catch it and they don't know what to do with them. They just hoof it. Reese Marshall, I oh. think he's got a couple. Yeah. Oh, Michael. Yeah, look, and I, I reckon it's a, I reckon it's great. It's it changes the it's adding another string to your bow of of athletes out there. Equally so, it's added another dimension around you know it's defensive game plans and how you how you got to think about things. So I think that's a, one of those real you know it's not focused on the breakdown. It's not changing something down there which we all scratch our head about at times. But the fact that they um, have actually got some awesome executioners of of it um and it's done really well for teams i think that's a that's a really cool innovation that's that's changed the game for the positive what about sean stevenson because we're we're big fans of sean stevenson huge fan um you're a winger uh, fullback first five at times as well you some of those roles that sean stevenson plays where he's mostly a fullback sometimes on the wing and first receiver at times how do you think he fits into those squads? It intrigues me so much the the makeup on the squad and the extra extra player players they're allowed to take. Um, what it does to that last position around, you know, uh, utility back of Sean Stevenson, uh, Damian McKenzie, um, ten fifteen. How that person that can cover multiple positions. Um, it's pretty damn important. Um, does he make the makeup on the squad? You know, form-wise, you you would think so. Um, Cohesion-wise and timing together, um, you know that that would be a that would be a factor. But he's been phenomenal, um, and I think you know that didn't happen overnight. He's had to play, you know, fifteen for Harbour, ten for Harbour, fill in in other positions, and you know, I speak from utility point of view, it might have you know, derailed other careers, but for the likes of Sean Stevenson, I think it's made him a better rugby player. Because um, you appreciate, when you're at 15, you appreciate what a 10 has to go through. Equally so, when you're at 10, you appreciate what your 15 is going to give you. So I think it just gives you a really good lens on um, on understanding moves and why to do things. So I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. Big fan, big fan. Yeah. You look at his growth in his game, like he's always had the attacking stuff. There's no question about that. Defensively, though, when Kanina Hollow went through the other night, you know, last line of defence, he's really improved his courage around that area. He, he throws himself in front of people, you know, to the point for Harbour last year, he was making some really solid dominant tackles um, and in that space. So his work rate out the back and, and what he offers defensively is there. But I, I think his biggest uh, weapon is his kick. Mm. Man. Mm. Like the, the pressure he can relieve with his boot, because he's a threat of running, defence almost overcommit, you know, a little bit times in that front line, and he just peels off and, and what opportunities he can produce for a 50-22. Even if he doesn't get a 50-22, the opportunities he can present, you know, to put you in the right parts of the field. And is that the difference between the Chiefs and everyone else right now, him and Damien's ability? Uh, well, I think it's their tactics, because I think Bryn Gatlin's played a role. I think Josh Iwani was great when he came on the other night. But they are first in the amount of kicks per game, and they're first in the amount of kick metres per game. Um, and surprise, surprise, you know, the Crusaders are sitting around second in that, in that space. So it does show, like, you, you get the balance and the work rate of your team right um, in terms of not playing too much footy in your half or in between your 40s and playing it down the right end. 
Um, and they've got a great conversion rate when they go into that 22 uh, for scoring tries. So um, I think their kick strategy is a big point of difference at the moment. Mm. Can you see them being stopped, Issa? Oh, look, I think they're being doing, doing phenomenal things at the moment. You know, I, I, know, I know for a fact that David Hill's had a big um, input on years gone by around their kick strategy, the execution, and the big understanding of what that looks like. So it doesn't surprise me that, um, you know, they lead the way in those stats because it didn't happen overnight. So it's, it's taken years to finesse um, with Clayton McMillan and their, and their coaches and have a real understanding of why they do it. So... Um, you know, I think I think Damian McKenzie's been been spot on throughout the throughout the whole campaign around you know running and executing the game plan. That's for sure. Should we have a look at this weekend's games and have a look at how this is all going to play out on the run home? Because with the Chiefs up top on fifty points, Crusaders on forty two, Brumbies on forty one, Blues on thirty eight. Canes on 37. There's a lot of movement that can go on for that home There's playoff. There's a big game that's going to define a home quarter. Uh, yeah, which game do you see that as? Oh. Blues, Canes. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Like, you know, Blues, you know, Hurricanes versus, uh, you know, at Eden Park and then Highlanders at Eden Park. Um, you know, Crusaders are away and then home against the Hurricanes. Like, you know, who knows? You know what the, what could happen to the Brumbies. All of a sudden, the Blues could end up in third spot and have a have a quarter final against the Tars. Um, uh, you'd you'd back that run in rather than finishing fourth and fifth and having to travel away. So, massive implications this now, this round. I was doing my numbers on that. Funny you should say. <laughs> um, and the, if it stays as is and they do jump the Brumbies, which would mean the Brumbies would have to lose to the Rebels at home, which I don't think will happen, um, it would be a, a Crusaders-Blues semi in Christchurch. Now, Correct. Chiefs and Hamilton, Crusaders and Christchurch oh, this time of the year. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, both are hard challenges, obviously. Um, but, you know, they, they, they may prefer a, a small trip south. Yeah, I was I was going quarter and quarter to get to the semi, and then it's the all cards are on the table. It's <laughs> going to be hard, hard both directions you're going. I don't even think you'd go. You'd rather have one or the other, or the other. Um, but you know, for the fact that they've got two home games um, for the Blues and and Canes and Highlanders, you, you'd back yourself just to go cool. Let's just focus on that, and then all cards are off. Come semis, hard, hard, hard run home either way. I'm uh, getting ahead of myself because I'm looking at the Canes and when I looked at these stats this week, they're first in the competition for defenders beaten, first for clean breaks per game, uh, um, first for turnovers won at the breakdown, and then first in terms of try conversion, not, not penalty, try conversion in the 22, and they sit second for the amount of entries to the 22. So the Canes get in the 22, they're scoring. And their their ability around that breakdown um, with Karifi hitting some form, it is going to be a big game this week at Eden Park because I felt like the Blues probably looked the best they'd look on attack for a long time, but their defence has been their weapon. So, you know, championships can be built on defence and they can hit that form. So I am frothing for that match, <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> It's going, to, it's going to be one hell of a weekend. I, I love it when you get to the back end of the competition and then the permutations of wins and losses um, and bonus points and the not. That, that's what makes the best out of any competition. 
You've always got to wonder too, like you look at these things and you go, how did they know that the Blues and the Canes and the Chiefs and the Brumbies in the last two rounds? Like whoever, whoever does this stuff, and I'm sure I've done a roster at work before, Sansa. it's impossible. <laughs> I don't know how they do these draws and get it right. Matt, NRL do it too. Matt Barlow, take a bell. Yeah. At Sansa. Give him his, the draws. Give him his props because goodness me, he's nailed this one. Absolutely nailed it. So with that being said, <laughs> the Blues win for you? Uh, yeah, home advantage, I think, will be the difference. Yeah, yeah, that close. Yeah, it is going to be tight. I think it'll be down to the last minute, you know, that discipline, something like that, it'll, it'll be tight. Yeah, Isa? No, they're home and hose, they're done. Never, never a Hurricanes fan. I'm, I'm a fan at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't have to be that analytical. They've got the home run in. Easy, easy wins. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, and the other big game then that's going to have a big, you know, uh, play on this because if the Chiefs go down, then it's still open. The Brumbies are the Chiefs. I think Chiefs win. Chiefs win away. Yep. It's bold. And uh, no, I just think they've, you know, the Brumbies will come hot uh, after the loss of the force, but I don't know. Like they probably didn't necessarily play. The most entertaining rugby the other night, but they just—it's like they just—they just know how to win now. Mm. Like, the, if statistically you look at that game, the Canes were dominant, so in particular with ball in hand. But um, they got the job done through their kick strap. Yep. Yep. Yeah, agree. Agree. I'm about that Chiefs. On that kick strap stuff, you know, Brumbies—they're they're fifth in the amount of kicks per game but ninth in the amount of metres. So you can see there's a whole contestable kicking game. They don't look for, and that's dangerous, because if you don't get that contestable kicking right, and a guy like Sean Stevenson um, or even Damien McKenzie in the backfield can attack it and land on the outside, other side, and, and you know they can hit the ground and hit the top speed straight away, um, it's risky. What I like about this weekend at the other end of the draw is that you've got this playoff for 7th, 8th, and you've got the Reds on 23, the Force on 22, the Highlanders on 19, the Drewers on 17. So there are a lot of teams that are still in the running to maybe force their way in. Highlanders-Reds is actually a biggie. It's quite a biggie for the way this tournament shapes up. So, Issa, do you see Highlanders at home? Do you see the Reds coming over and doing what they did to the Chiefs? Nah, I, I don't think so. I, I, I back the Highlanders there. Um, you know, I'll mince my words if, I, if I'm wrong next week, but I think that that's huge for them. Um, you know, we're talking about top of the table. You know, when you're fighting for that, you know, fifth, second, well, sixth, seventh, eighth position, and you're either just in it or just out of it, you're, you're doing anything there. So I that was a huge, huge task. For the Reds, um, and that was emotionally taxing. So to back that up, well, that's pretty damn tough in my eyes, um, and not not down there against the Islanders. I think you only get one of those games where you're taken lightly. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you almost put the comp on notice. Um, I don't think the Highlanders will be overly impressed with their performance against the Rebels because of their ability to get in the twenty-two. I think they had thirteen entries, and you know, obviously, only came away with a couple of tries. Um, and I know there was some held up, but they've got to convert those opportunities. Their attack just isn't allowing them to get reward for the territory and the position that they're actually getting, especially under the roof. They do have a, a great system going there, but um, if they follow their skipper, but I mean, that, that's actually, McWright is going well as well. Harmon McWright battle will be outstanding, but I think the Highlanders just get it, just, only just though. Right. Rebels and the Force. 
Is that a tough call? I'm going to go Rebels. That will change some things if the Rebels get up. Suddenly they're up 20-odd points and it's even closer in around that eighth spot. Rebels are a good side, especially if they get um, their first five back. Hodge did a good job at 10, but... Carter. Mm. Fury, sir? Yeah, oh, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I might back the Rebels. It's a, it, it will be tight, though. A um, lot of implications um, how that game goes, but no, that, that, that'll be a tight one in my eyes. The Drua have got two home games, which is epic for them, Issa. They've got MP, who can't win a game, and have had their coach resign, I'm presuming, because of that. And then you've got the Reds at home as well. So the Drua have got a good run home here. Yeah, they, they they do like they they and they really do. You know, there was they've been they've proven that. You know, two home games, phenomenal crowd, a lot on the line, um, a lot to ask of them. Um, but you would expect them to get up uh, against Moana this weekend, um, and then you know, good luck whoever's going there. Last last game of a round, like seriously, good luck. Um, and that's that's the emotional side of the game that'll make for a thrilling last last game. But um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty all all on them, which is a cool opportunity for them at this part of the season. Yep, and I I'd say this cautiously to the to the drawer, but I reckon they need to try and get a bonus point mm. if they want that quarterfinal spot. I think this weekend they need to. They've got to get the balance right because that's been their biggest weapon at home. They've, they've played the conditions really, really well to suck the energy out of teams. So, but I think they need to go for you know a, a big score for points diff and the three extra tries. I just think the point, yeah, points diff not so much, but just to get them level. Say the force drop to the rebels, the reds drop to the highlanders. Then, then the destiny's in their own hands in their own backyard against the tars. So the Tars, they're going to the Crusaders. 21 years since they had that 96-19 loss or whatever it was back in the day. I, I can't imagine that the result, or even though the scoreline will be quite different. No chance. No chance. Sorry. No. 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 Agree. Did I? So the Crusaders most likely move up to 47 points. Yep. It puts them yep. in a pretty good spot if the Brumbies can't get up. Hey, that drop in the Brumbies game, there is no way I am telling you right here, right now, the Crusaders will relinquish that second spot now. Yeah, it's done. Oh, there's just no, that team will just not. Yeah. Is, so it's Chiefs, not coming back. Chiefs, Crusaders and Hamilton, is that what you're saying? Well, they're in the box seat. Yeah. They're in the box seat. No one likes to go to Christchurch in the cold in June, July. Or Hamilton, for that matter. <laughs> I'd rather Hamilton. <laughs> right. So you think it's Chiefs Crusaders based on what we're seeing right now? Oh, man. I, I'm i a fan at the end of the day. I'm going to sit in the Blues Park. But oh. it's, it's the, 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 the... Look, I'm saying that not as an analytical coach here, but I think that is, um, that is where it's heading. Um, unfortunately, never a fan of either of those teams. Um, but they've 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 done the hard yards. Uh, they've they've done it all really. So I think that's the road home. I I, I do see them finishing one and two. Um, you know, and I'm gonna say it here. I think the Blues end up in third. So um, yeah, pretty pretty 
pretty poignant around what actually happens. But I think Chiefs and Chiefs one and Crusaders two, they're not going to give up that spot. Now, I just really want to make use of the work I did around the stats there. He says, just to give you some hope, you know, you'll give us some hope. Um, the Blues are actually sitting really well defensively. I think we all know that. But they've had the most visits to the 22. Their conversion rate is 11th out of 12th, but they've had the most. And this is, I just felt like last week their mojo was back. Mark Talia, Bryce Heem, the offloads, you know, even before Bodie went off. Um, I don't know. If, if We know that this team can click. And, you know, I just think maybe they're, they're on the trend to peak because they're getting in positions to score points. They're just not getting as much as they like. So there is still, there's still a chance. Still Brilliant. a chance, me. That's what I like to hear, mate. That's what I like to hear, mate. I'll be there watching. <laughs> so through all of that, the Blues win the title for both of you. <laughs> well, I'm always <laughs> going to back them. I'm always <laughs> going to back them. But I think the Chiefs Crusaders are definitely in the box seat. Awesome. Hey, uh, th- Issa, thank you so much for joining us for the hour. We really appreciate right. it. Cool, man. Have a good one, lads. Appreciate you coming on. Good Cheers, to mate. You. Great to have Issa on board. Uh, thanks again, Jiffa. We'll see you again next week. Can't wait. When the Blues will be one step closer to the title. <laughs> Stop laughing, mate. <laughs> we'll see how they go. Uh, thank you once again for joining us on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. We'll catch you again next week. Get in touch with us. Leave a comment in the YouTube. Go to Aotearoa Rugby Pod at sky.co.nz or if you want to, send a video to our submission feed. You'll see the key along the bottom of the screen there. Thank you once again for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Matewa. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.